Have you ever had a friend or a group of friends where you had one kid that was like the model kid? Everyone, every, every mom wanted you to be like this kid. You ever have a kid like that growing up? Like, you, can't you just be a little bit more like Johnny? Can't you just be a little bit more like this person, whatever? And then, and then there was like the other dude that like no mom ever wanted you to be like. You ever have one of those, <laughs> one of those friendships? You know what happens? You know, it's just kind of in, in God's humor, he always makes those two people best friends. Is that, you ever have people like that? Do you have relationships like that growing up? Like in high school, you're always like, man, I got, you got the kid that's straight-laced, and then you got his friend. You're like, man, you are a mess. Like, holy cow, how did you? You got the one kid that's like, you got the one kid that's like, you know, he's, he's like applying for college his freshman year. You're like, you know, you know, chill out, bro. You got four years to go. Like, relax. And then you got the other kid who applies to one college, like, in April of the senior year, and yet he makes it in, and he becomes this dude, like, this model citizen, right? You have these two people that, like, you would have never put together in a million years, and yet they seem to be best friends doing incredible things. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of what our story is going to be today, where we have two friends that are going to be doing incredible things together, yet one is, like, crazy. The other one is not so crazy, um, but because we're in a series right now called Running in Circles where we're learning uh, what it's like to actually love each other. J- Jesus gives a command, and I love when Jesus actually just tells me what to do because I really want to follow him, and I really want him to do things that he wants me to do. Sometimes it feels so great, doesn't it? Doesn't the Bible feel like, hey, I don't know what you want me to do here. I don't know what you want me to say, but he gives us this really straightforward command in John 15, and this is what it says. It says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so over the next number of weeks, we're in a series that we're going to be trying to flesh out what does it mean to actually love like Jesus loved? Uh, because don't you know that that's a pretty high order, right? When you have the, the Savior of the world that comes down to earth um, and, and, and literally gives his life for people, um, that's a pretty tall order for him to then turn around and tell us to love people like that. Like, hey, you know that death and resurrection thing that I'm about to do? Well, I want you to model that in your relationships. And, and really, when you start to close that gap between what Jesus wants you to do and what you're currently doing, there's all sorts of life that you will begin to experience. But the question that you have to ask yourself, which I'm glad you're asking right now internally, uh, because I'd like to do that, I'd like to answer those questions for you. You're asking yourself, well, what does it mean to love in the Bible? What does the Bible teach you about love? And really, there's only there's, there's six different ways uh, that the Bible teaches love, and it's, it's, it's just in a quick list that we have for you. But love in the Bible um, comes down to committing and that you are a supportive relationship. It comes down to uh, being with each other, that you're a safe person. It's being for each other. You, you push each other towards uh, to, towards new things, being unto each other. You help build structure that builds success. You unite each other. You resolve conflict, and, and you fill the gap with trust. That, that's really what the Bible teaches is this, just these few things here is really, that's what love is. And so today we're, we're just nailing down on what it's like to commit to each other because the, the, ultimately in relationships, there's four corners that you can be in. And, and there's a Daniel Seigel, he's, a, he's a, psych, a psychotherapist from Southern California, teaches this sort of thing, where he says there's really only four corners that you can be in in your relationships, and you've really got to figure out what corner 
your relationship is in. And so corner number one is this disconnected uh, relationship where you're not even sure the person likes you, let alone love you. You're, like, you're not even sure anything that's happening. You're not feeling any sort of spark. There's no chemistry. You're not sure they're even concerned, not sure they're even interacting. It's kind of like the, the girl in third grade that you liked and she doesn't even know you're there, right? Everyone, everyone has one of those stories, right? And so you have dis- disconnected corner number one. Then you have corner number two is a bad connection. This connection is there is some life, but it just makes you feel bad. Um, have you ever been in a relationship where all you want to do, is all you hope for is the approval and the, the joy of someone that you're in a relationship with, and they just don't ever give it to you? And so you spend a lot of your life just in cycles trying to gain the person's approval. You see this a lot of times in, in failed marriages, a lot of times maybe in, in bad parental uh, relationships, and, and you see this, this kind of cycle happening where you're just, you, you want to be connected, but it's just a bad uh, connection. And then there's corner number three, because after so much bad connection, after so much disconnection, you really just want to feel good. And so you go to corner three sometimes, which is a fake connection. It kind of gives you some life. It gives you some joy. It gives you some energy, but it's not off sustainable relationships. It's based off things like substance abuse. And maybe that person that you know you shouldn't be hanging out with, but you do anyway, is kind of the thing that stirs up some emotion in you to make you feel like you're alive. Uh, but you're actually not connecting in a meaningful way. And what we want to do is, is really go to corner number four, which is the true connection, which is really what the Bible says about loving each other. It's these six things that the Bible talks about that will produce a relationship, which is a true connection with each other. Now, what I believe this is going to do for us as a church is, is, is absolutely amazing. I believe that for the, maybe for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time ever, you're going to be able to interact with people in a meaningful relationship, not just one where you just go and blow off some steam at the bar with a buddy and have a beer. But you're actually going to be able to engage in a deep connection, a meaningful connection with people. The, the Apostle Paul, he takes this to a level which is amazing. He takes this to a level which is absolutely amazing. And he's got a buddy named Luke. Now, Luke Luke is, is someone that's just with Paul for most of, most of this story. And Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. In Colossians chapter 4, Luke actually is called the beloved doctor. Now listen, when you see the word beloved here, when in Colossians 4.14, he says, Luke is my beloved doctor. He's, he's the guy that I'm with. It's actually like a cop-out in the translation. Because beloved, you're like, well, the Bible says that we're beloved with each other, right? And you're like, what does that even mean? I don't get that at all. Because I never say that to someone. Imagine waking up, rolling over to your wife, and you say, my beloved wife, how are you? Imagine doing that. You don't do that, right? Beloved is a level of love in the New Testament that we don't really accurately understand. It's like in your bones, in your guts, you just have this deep, deep emotion of joy and of gratitude and grace for the person that you're in relationship with. That's beloved. And yet Paul says this about Luke. Dudes, when was the last time you said that to another guy? Let alone, like sometimes we have, we have a problem doing with our kids sometimes, let alone to another man. But what this connection is between Luke and Paul is this deep, deep love. They 
love each other. Love each other. And Luke was the head of a church in Philippi. This, they met each other in Troas, and eventually they, they, Luke settles down to lead the church in Philippi. And when you read the book of Philippians, you can see all of this energy come out. You can see all of this joy come out of how they actually feel for each other. And so Luke is the, the leader of this church. He stays there for like seven to eight years, but then he travels with Paul from that moment all the way to the end of his life all the way to the end of his life where he ends up in Rome where his life is eventually ended um, uh, throughout, throughout his prison stay. So literally, Luke is through the ups and the downs, the goods and the bads because Luke knows what it's like to support and to commit. And to support someone, to commit to someone like Jesus would commit to them is to make a rugged commitment to them. If you want to support someone and love someone the way Jesus did, you're going to ultimately make a rugged commitment to them. I mean, this is the good, the bad, the, the ugly, the, like the, the beautiful. It's everything in between. It's this incredible picture that no matter what you do, no matter where you go, I got you. I got you. And so it's this idea of supporting each other uh, that really begins to interact with it. And you're going to see, I'm gonna, we're going to read through different sections of Philippians chapter 1 where Luke and, is talking to the church, where, where Paul is talking to the church that Luke led. And you'll be able to see these dynamics of what it's like uh, to be there because ultimately we want to love people like Jesus did. And in order to do that, we need to support them by making a rugged commitment to them. That's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. And so this morning we're in Philippians chapter 1 because there's three things that a supporter does, three things that a supportive person will ultimately do to, to make this rugged commitment. Through their rugged commitment with someone, you will ultimately have three things that you do for somebody else. And so I think this should be a lot of fun, don't you think? Hey, come on. So number one, number one, supportive people, they fuel and refuel you. They fuel and refuel you. We'll be, like I said, we'll be in Philippians chapter 1. You can, you can look on version, or you can, um, you can look in version. you can read the Bible, look on the screen. But here's the thing. Supportive people, they fuel and they refuel you. You ever have a moment where your tank is empty and you know it is, right? You're just done. Maybe you had a bad circumstance in your life or maybe, you just, maybe it's just like death by a thousand cuts. It's one of those situations where you're just, you know your tank is empty. And like I said last week, your body will give you impulses, this loneliness or this desire, maybe this angst. And all of those emotions are, desire, are, are fueling your desire to connect with somebody else. They're giving, your body is giving you impulses to say it's time to be in relationship with somebody else. And so there's things like loneliness, disconnection. Sometimes anger comes up. Sometimes shame pops up, and you see all these things, you say, you know, instead of feeling bad or feeling angry, what I'm going to do is go have lunch with my friend. And that's kind of what Luke and, and Paul talk through. But, but what, what ends up happening is we don't do that. But this person, this supportive person for you, whether you are that person or you have a person like this, they have this ability to fuel you and refuel you in many ways. This could be through maybe provision of finances. It could be just through intellectual knowledge. It could be through many different things. But supporting people 
ultimately give you the fuel both emotionally, or emotionally, physically, spiritually. They give you this fuel and refuel where, you, where your tank is empty. It's that person that you go to to say, hey, you know what, I just need to be with you for a little bit. Or maybe it's the person that says, hey, I see you and I need to support what you're doing so that you can continue on in the fight. But the question is this, you could have a person like this. And many of you maybe are thinking about someone like right now. Maybe, someone, maybe you're saying, I need someone that is a fueler or a refueler for me. But the question that you ultimately ask yourself, and I'm glad you asked because I'm going to answer that question right now, is, is you have to ask yourself whether that's a positive or a negative fuel. You have to ask yourself if there's a positive or a negative fuel because here's the deal, is that you're going to be uh, one day hoping to pour yourself out to somebody, right? And, and you're expecting or a good relationship, a good supportive person is going to turn that back around and say, okay, how can we make this a good thing? Negative fuel is going to say, you know what, you're right. You're right. You have your, maybe if your kid came home one day and was like, you know what, Dad, I was, I was being made fun of today. Some of them, they called me a name. And this negative fuel is, well, you know what, that kid's a jerk. Slug him when you get there, Right? Well, he, they don't know you. You're just a, they're just big old jerks. You don't need any of them. Right? That's not positive fuel. Positive fuel is say, hey, you know what? Are you that? No, you're not. Let's figure out how we can begin to have some healthy interaction and connection with that person. Negative fuel is, man, when you're having a terrible day at work and you get together with the three or four people that are also having terrible days and then you just throw a glass of wine in the midst of that and everything falls apart right? You're like, well, I hate my job. Yeah, you know what, Susie, I hate my job too. You know, and you end up getting into these interactions with each other that aren't healthy. They're not healthy. They're not positive fuel for you. A supportive person is ultimately going to give you positive reinforcement to say, okay, what skills do you need? What tools do you need to grow? What are your shortfalls to begin to interact with that? Maybe it is the time to get a new job, but don't run out like crazy and setting the place on fire. You know, that's not a good thing to do. But he's saying begin to take some supportive fuel to pursue this. So he, he, they fuel and they refuel you. They fuel and they refuel you. Um, uh, Noel Tiki is the author of the, the Leadership Engine. He talks about this type of idea in, in, in organizations and communities. He says that there's positive, every community, like a church or a business, they have positive and negative fuel. And this is what it says. All communities inherently have energy because they are made up of people and people have energy. But in healthy communities, people seem to have more energy and use it more productively. Instead of wasting energy on negative activities such as internal politics and resisting changes, they use their energy to positively overcome problems and challenges. Positive energy produces positive results. And so if you're saying, like, all I have is negative results, you might want to look at the energy, that, the fuel that you're getting fed. You say, man, I just hate a lot of things right now. You might want to look about what's feeding your perception. Because all communities have energy. And guess what all communities are made out of? People. And so when you begin to engage with each other in positive ways, you're going to produce positive energy. If it feels funny in a place, it's probably right. But you've got to figure out what is the energy that's driving the community. 
It's not internal politics and change agents and all that sort of thing. What it is is positive pursuit of the fact that we're pursuing Christ. And so for us at Community Covenant, we're all engaged in lives changed by Christ. We are all pursuing that because we're part of God's restoration plan for the world. Like, isn't that the best mission that you've ever heard of before? And so if God wants to fix the whole world and he's using the church to be a part of that, why do we spend our time talking about things that don't matter? We shouldn't. We should be pursuing this idea that Jesus is changing lives. And if that doesn't get an amen, I don't know what does. All right, so they're going to fuel and refuel you. Number two, oh, let me... Let me pull some Bible into here, right? That's, I'm sorry about that. So Luke and Paul are actually going to talk through this, and this is what he says in Philippians chapter 1. You can see the fuel going from Paul into the Philippian church, and you can see the fuel coming back towards him in verse 3. It says this, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. When was the last time you said that to somebody? Hey, you know what? Next, every time I think about you, I thank God for you. Every time I think about you, I thank God for you. When I come to church, man, that's what I'm, I'm trying to get my brain into that mode. I'm not looking at you and thinking, well, I wish they would shape their life up. No, I'm just thinking, you know what? You know what, Bob, last time I saw you, man, you, like, every time I think about you, Bob, God literally gives me joy in my heart. Ron, every single time I look at you, God just floods me with positive emotion. Rory, every time I think about you, man, my whole brain just gets flooded with good and positive thoughts, and I just so wish that God would do something in you. John and, and Anne, I just wish that God, you know, I just love the fact that you and you, and you, you guys serve together. Love the fact that you like, when was the last time we did that for each other? We pull away from each other, and we say, you know what, Rory, this person over here, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I, and there's plenty of reason for me to say that about Bob, but he just doesn't know yet. I just met Bob this morning. That's why I can say that. I'm just kidding. But, but listen, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you were first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God will begin the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day that Christ Jesus returns. So it is right now that it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of, Je- of Christ Jesus. Oh, man, you can say, if someone were to come up to you and say that, wouldn't you like, I mean, I'd be like, go run for president right now, and that'd be easy right now. You could do that. <laughs> you, could, you could literally, you come back around, you say, man, I'm just full of life because you have someone that supports you and fuels you in a way that they do. So supportive people, they fuel and they refuel. Number two, supportive people. Supportive people, they build self-control. Here is incredible, this is where supporting relationships can break down into unhealth, is when you don't draw a line towards autonomy. If you have someone that you're supporting or you're being supported by someone else, eventually you have to take full ownership of every one of your decisions. Every one of your decisions. And so you're going to be supporting someone and then you're going to release them to go be the autonomous person they are. 
high-performing people and leaders and people that are, in, that are healthy and uh, mentally and people that are healthy, like they're going to pursue ownership of their decisions. You look at, you look at some of the pro athletes, man, you, they know who's, whose fault is it when they don't win? Theirs, to an unhealthy level, I think, at some times. But they have full ownership of their performance because they know that at the end of the day, who made the decision? Me. I did. I made it, maybe it was off bad information or maybe it was good information, but ultimately, I made the decision. The true test of a corner four supportive relationship is when you give the person advice or you give the person support and they don't take it. And they don't take it. What do you feel? Do you still have that rugged commitment to them? Do you still have that desire to see them grow and change in the Lord? If you got kids, are you offering advice to them and then saying, okay, hey, you didn't follow my advice? And then you're saying, well, let me just wait until your life unravels. Or you say, no, all right, let's try to, make, let's try to support your decision. Ultimately, the Bible guides that, so don't just, well, you want to be guiding them towards the scriptures, obviously. But what is the, the, but the true test of a corner for relationship is if you are actually okay with their autonomy, with their ownership, with the things that they're doing. You say, all right, I'm going to give you my advice as your parent, as your friend, as your supportive corner for person, and then they're going to ultimately make the decisions that they need to. Because what we could do, that we could support someone we could support someone and ultimately derive value from the support. And what happens when you're no longer supporting them? You start to question your identity and your value. And you start to hold on to them for support because you need it, not them. That's where this unhealthy, uh, this unhealthy dynamic can break into corner four relationships where you are ultimately saying, I need you more than you need me and I'm the one supporting you. Because you're deriving this value, deriving this worth from them where we're supposed to be getting our worth and our dignity from Jesus Christ. See, corner four supportive relationships, they have this healthy understanding of who they are so, they, so that they have healthy boundaries and they don't become the person they're trying to help. And so they engage with this in a supportive way. So you ultimately build self-control. Again, Luke and Paul, they're going to have this conversation. They're going to say this. Verse 9, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. See, see Paul starts the church, preaches the gospel. They're being led by healthy leaders and healthy elders. And he's saying, so I want you to keep on growing. I want you to keep on moving because ultimately whose responsibility it is, is it for, for someone to continue growing? Not me. It's not my responsibility for make sure every single one of you grow into the Lord. It's my, my, it's my responsibility to equip you to do that. It's my responsibility to equip you, to give you the tools for you to grow into the Lord. But it's not my fault as a pastor if you say, no, I don't want to do it. He said, I want you to continue to grow. Keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation 
the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring, you much, bring much glory and praise to God. So he's saying, okay, I'm going to fuel you and refuel you. He's going to engage with this in a good relationship, and he's going to support them in major ways, and ultimately he's going to release them to continue to grow. This is what I love about Luke. You know what's amazing to me about Luke? Paul spent almost six years in prison over the course of his ministry. Talk about a ministry like that. We want, no one's signing up for that one. Everyone wants to be Paul, but no one wants to spend six years in prison, right? You wanna, you, you, do you know how I know Luke was a supportive person? Because not one time did that brother end up in jail. <laughs> That's amazing to me that you spend this much time with someone and he's always like, I'm going to go let Paul say those things in the temple and I'm going to sit back and record them and so that I can go visit Paul when he's in jail and I'm not. That's how that works. See how, see how self-control is built within the relationship? You always say, you know, I'm just going to step back and I'm going to let you go say crazy things to the Jewish leaders and then I'm going to step up and say, ah, I know, I'm sorry, Paul. You know, I don't know what to do here. I, can I just get your name for the Bible? I'm writing the Bible later on. I just, can I just get you, what, where are we right now? I'm not sure. I feel awkward. I know, oh wait, can you stop hitting him for a second? Like, that's how you, you know that there's self-control being built into this relationship because homie is just in jail for a long time and Luke never is. I love that about Luke. But you can see this thing, just keep on growing, keep on pursuing. Lastly, number three, supportive people, they don't just, supportive people, they don't just fuel and refuel. They don't just uh, build self-control. Lastly, they offer constructive feedback. They offer constructive feedback. Now, this is where it can get a little awkward, but I want to give you a simple tool for you to just evaluate what type of leadership or what type of feedback you're offering to people in your life. And there's really three types of feedback, there's, and it's broken down into, uh, from a book, um, now, this book, you, if you're, if, especially if you're in leadership, if you're a manager or a boss or, or whatever, or even if you just want to be a good employee, um, you want to go buy this book, Thanks for the Feedback, by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen. Even if you're married. My wife and I read this book together. This is how you know we're bit, like leadership geeks. Um, we read this book as a marriage book, and it's actually like a Harvard Business Review like manager's book, right? So um, Thanks for the Feedback by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen. She actually lives like uh, probably about 45 minutes from here near Harvard, um, and, and she actually wrote a, she's a Christian that wrote, the, wrote a book, Thank God for the Feedback, uh, for a lot of community groups. That's something you can even look into as well. But thanks for the feedback, and it, she breaks it down into three things, A-C-E, so ACE, become an ACE at feedback. Number one is appreciation. You want to tell the person, what should I continue? What should I continue? You want to, you want to tell them that they're seen. I see you, I appreciate you, I enjoy you. This is Paul telling the church of Philippi, man, every time I think of you, I thank God that you're in my life, that you're connected to me. Number two, it's coaching. And you want to let the other person know what is in my way. What is in my way? You might have a blind spot. It's like, you know, when you get into these situations, you kind of act like a jerk. Don't be like a jerk right there. It's not fun for anybody, even for you, even if you like it, right? It's not good. So coaching is what's in my way. And lastly, evaluation, where do I stand? Where do I stand? Bill Hybels talks, talks a lot about this, that, that to be in relationship with somebody, to be in relationship with somebody and not tell them where they stand at certain points um, is really just not good, especially if you give someone money, if you, someone works for you, someone is part of your organization, if you're responsible for someone managerially, it's, it's really not even nice 
to let them guess about where they stand in their relationship to you and towards the organization. It's not nice to do that. And so, but, but you know what? Everyone has triggers to evaluation and, and feedback. It's really hard sometimes to hear feedback, isn't it? Uh, in fact, a lot of times what, your brain actually shuts off. When you're talking to somebody, you can't hear the way you speak. You can't hear the tone of your voice. Your brain shuts that off. And so it, it can be a really weird uh, interaction with, with, uh, with the other person to be in this type of feedback conversation. And so, and so what you have is, is some triggers, if you want to throw those on the screen, um, that, that, begin to, that begin to happen when someone gives you feedback. The first one is the truth trigger. And the first thing you're going to think of is, well, is this even true? I need, to, I need to figure out if this is true. I need to go ask my buddies. I need to go ask my friends. And that's, that's actually good and healthy to check feedback to know if it's actually true or not. Uh, because someone could be having a bad day and give you stupid feedback and it could ruin your life or ruin your character. You could take it and, and own it and weigh it down on you big time. It's not fun. And so you have this truth trigger. You want to know, is this feedback even true? Second, you have a relational trigger. And this is, I think this one gets everybody, especially if you struggle with pride. This is me big time. When someone comes up to me and gives me feedback, you know what the first thing I think of is? Well, I know you. And who are you to get, say anything to me, right? I mean, just you can hear the pride melting off those words, right? And it all happens internally. You would never say that to somebody unless you, you got, you know, you really need this series if you say that to somebody. Um, but you have this idea, who, who are you to say this? You know, you know what I began doing all the time? I began at least listening and searching Every piece of feedback that anyone ever said about me, if one person were to say it, I'd say, well, is there truth to that? Because sometimes the only people, I love this quote, I don't know who said it, sometimes the only people telling you what you need to hear are your biggest critics. And so, is it true? Is it true? And lastly, you have an identity trigger. And this one, really, you need to bite, you need to bite quickly and get it out of your, your thought process because this is something you need to begin to push away from yourself. But sometimes when someone gives you a feedback, you begin to self-deprecate and say, I'm a bad person. And this is a lot of times it's tied to the way that you were raised. It was tied to the way that your parents talked to you, whatever. But you begin to say, I'm a bad person. I'm so sorry that I'm like this. And that's ultimately not what the person's trying to do. Because you can have two mindsets when you hear feedback, when you hear, when you're interacting in relationships. You can have two feedback mindsets. You can have a fixed mindset, which is this is who I am and how I'll be. Or you can have a growth mindset. I am always learning and improving. If you have a growth mindset, tell me everything you have to say to me because I need to know it. I need to learn it. I need to sort it out. I need to process it. But if you have a fixed mindset, well, you'll, you'll walk around your entire life with your arms crossed and say, I don't need any of you. What gives you the posture of relationship, what gives you the posture to even be in a supportive relationship is this idea that you have a growth mindset. You have a growth mindset. I need to learn and I need to grow so I can be the best person that God created me to be. That's why we put you in groups. That's why groups are not just a program for us. We need each other, interdependent upon each other to live life in a successful and full way, to live life in a way that helps us pursue Christ. 
Last week we said that the way your brain changes is by building itself in relationship. You need other people. You can't live life alone. And so supportive people, you begin to see that they offer feedback. Look at, look at Paul talks about it. Um, just to close out chapter 1, verse 25, he says this. He says, knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will, ha- you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he's doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith which is good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. And so you begin to see the way that he's just saying, hey, you know what? Continue to live the way Christ shaped you to live. He said, I want you to be citizens of heaven. And you can see the accountability that's being engaged through this conversation with the Philippian church. You can see the accountability. You say, I want you, to, I want you to not be intimidated by your enemies. You can't be intimidated by your enemies. This will, uh, this will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even, be, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. How awesome is that? We are in this together. You just see the support going between Luke, the church that Luke leads, and ultimately the person that he's going to spend the last 10 years of his life with, and Paul, the one that's leading this whole movement. Here's the deal, is that sometimes we take all of this for granted, don't we? We come in and we, 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 we sit in nice chairs and we got duct tape carpets, but that's okay, that'll be changed next week. We take all of this for granted, and it's so easy for us to just come in here disconnected from everybody, sit down, and not be in relationship because it's easier for us to feel better about ourselves. It's easy to do that. And we lose the sight of this. You know, today, one of the biggest things about being a supportive person, being supportive of each other, and really being supportive of, of the group that you're in. If you're in a community group, you need to be in one. If you're not... I mean, it's really, that's where the only time you're going to be able to experience this type of relationship that we're talking about. But you begin to see this uh, take place because there's many churches right now that don't have the privilege of meeting like we are. That don't have the privilege of meeting like we are. And so this morning, we're going to see this, this kind of support, this kind of engagement come to life through a quick drama and then we're going to be able to take some communion together uh, as we pursue Christ uh, towards him. Jesus, we want to be supportive people for each other. We want to be people that fuel each other up, that thank God every single time they think about them. God, we want to be people that offer constructive and good feedback that aren't afraid to go there, that aren't afraid to say what needs to be said, to offer appreciation, to to tell them what's in their way through coaching or to evaluate something that they said they were going to do and they're not doing. But God, we want to help people build self-control and release them to autonomy, release them to, to structure in themselves, to make decisions that they're responsible for.
So God, I pray that you give us a deep appreciation for what it's like to even be able to meet as a church, to even be able to meet with each other. That we don't take this for granted, the fact that we get to be in relationship with other people that are following you so that we can look more like you. God, I pray that you literally begin to build our brains and begin to build our structures, begin to build our chemistry so that we can see lives changed by Christ as people interact with this in a fresh new way. In your awesome name we pray. Amen.